Good evening. Hi, everyone, and thanks very much for coming. We do encourage you to speak up during the program. We have someone speaking up already, which we, we uh, think is the way that uh, all young women should act. So please uh, speak up whenever you're moved to do so. Uh, my name is Janet Jacobson, and I'm the director of the Barnard Center for Research on Women. And I want to welcome you to this evening's event, Women for Afghan Women, Successful Grassroots Organizing in Afghanistan. Um, we have the good fortune this evening that uh, we are a little earlier than our usual program, which means that everyone will get home in time to be able to watch the vice presidential debates. Um, and, um, you know, I have heard, I don't know that this is true, that there are websites that you can go to um, where you can play bingo, and each time the um, candidates say particular cliched or catchphrased things, you get to check off a box. But I do encourage you to ask this question. How often is Afghanistan mentioned in the debates? How often the women of Afghanistan are mentioned? <laughs> and by whom and why? So that's your homework assignment for this evening. Um, because we do think, especially in a season when the United States is um, electing a commander-in-chief and um, we're at war, as all of you know, in two countries, that it's important to focus on those issues. And so we have what is actually within our programming this fall, a little mini-series um, on Afghanistan. So our next event following on this evening's will be a film called Postcards from Tora Bora. Um, and so I invite you to come back. Uh, and that will occur on Wednesday, October 15th, which is in about uh, two or three weeks, two weeks, I guess, this being the second. Wednesday, October 15th, and that's at 6 o'clock p.m., and that's over in Altschul Hall, um, which is the taller science building um, where we can actually show films. So please come back in two weeks um, to see the film because I think that the more that we can educate ourselves about this issue, the better off we'll be, which is not to predict what I think will happen in terms of the number of times uh, women in Afghanistan are mentioned. Um, we're very happy to have with us this evening um, representatives from Women for Afghan Women. As some of you know, um, back in it would have been 2002, the fall of 2002, we did a conference with Women for Afghan Women that was very important and, and um, successful. Uh, and we're very happy to welcome them back again. Our alumna, Mary Lou Christie, who has been very involved in the organization, um, was unable to join us, but we are still grateful to her for connecting us to Women for Afghan Women and um, helping to facilitate their coming to our campus again for all of us to hear from them. Uh, I also want to thank the Barnard Center for Research on Women staff, uh, Hisela Fosado, Lucy Trainer, and um, all of our students, um, particularly Anna and Lily, who are here. And I'm, I always say her name wrong. Um, it's my pleasure to introduce the speakers this evening, and then I'm going to turn it over to um, one of the board members from Women for Afghan Women. Um, we have three speakers. Uh, first will be Esther Heineman, who is going to um, talk a little bit about the organization. And, you know, she uh, spent her professional life teaching literature, women's studies, and gender studies at Brooklyn um, campus of Long Island University, the Brooklyn campus of Long Island University. And importantly, she's a board member of WAW, um, which she joined, and I think this is important for all of us to think about, when searching for a way to turn her long frustration about the women of Afghanistan into practical action. And that's one of the things that we're hoping will come from this evening. For those of you who um, might be frustrated about um, what's happening in Afghanistan and about UF US policy, we're here to say that um, this organization provides a model for something that you can do about it. Um, our next two speakers are um, also from um, WAW. Uh, first is uh, Fahima Vorgitz, and she's a board member. 
and she's been intimately involved in Afghanistan's women, women's movement since the mid-1960s. She served as director of the Women's Literacy Program in Afghanistan before- it's my age, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's rare that I find somebody where I'm not the oldest one, so thank you. Um, and as director of the Women's Literacy Program in Afghanistan before leaving the country in 1979, um, she was a key supporter of the Revolutionary Association of Women of Afghanistan, um, providing funding for underground schools for girls and humanitarian relief during the Taliban's rule. After the fall of the Taliban, she co-founded the Humanitarian Organization for Orphans and Widows of Afghanistan. Um, Fahima is the recipient of numerous awards on behalf of her efforts um, of, for the women of Afghanistan, including a 2002 Lifetime Achievement Award as an extraordinary contribution to peace and justice from the Anne Arundel Chapter of Peace Action, the 2003 Human Rights Community Award from the UN Association of the National Capital Area, and the 2007 Making a Difference for Women Award from Soroptimist International. Um, to Fahima's left is Manisha Nadari. She's the Executive Director of Women for Afghan Women. She was born in Kabul and raised in New York. She joined WAW in 2002 as the director of the organization's community outreach program here in Queens. In August of 2006, she moved permanently to Kabul to direct WAW's work in Afghanistan. There she created a groundbreaking project, the Family Guidance Center, which offers counseling and mediation to families in crisis and to women and girls who are experiencing domestic violence, forced and underage marriages, rape, sex trafficking, and other violations of their rights. During the center's first year, its caseworkers processed 300 cases, and its lawyers represented dozens of women in court. Manisha also opened a shelter for women and girls who could not return home because of threats of violence, and initiated literacy and vocational training classes to help women earn a living and achieve financial independence. She's now working to expand the center to other provinces in Afghanistan. So we should all do so much for the good of women in the world. And without further ado, I introduce you to Esther Heinemann. I'm just gonna speak for a couple of minutes uh, to give you a little, a thumbnail sketch of the organization, Women for Afghan Women. Um, it was founded in 2001 in April, six months before 9-11, uh, by a uh, group of very young women uh, from New York City, a woman originally from India and an Afghan woman who were disturbed about the situation of women in Afghanistan under the <laughs> Taliban. And they uh, were planning a conference and uh, on this topic, and then 9-11 occurred. Uh, the, talk, the conference was held uh, in September, and it was followed by another conference the next year on the same subject, women, the situation of women in Afghanistan uh, at Barnard College. And a third conference uh, occurred in 2003 in Kandahar. Uh, we have actually three Programs. We have a community outreach program in Queens. There's a, a fairly large population of immigrant uh, Afghans in Queens, in Flushing particularly, uh, who are very conservative. They've brought their conservative values uh, to uh, the United States. Many of the women in this population have never been to school. Uh, are illiterate uh, in their own language, and some of them have been here for 26 years and can't speak English. 
uh, and their daughters suffer many of the violations, the rights violations that their mother suffered in Afghanistan. So we work with this population in Queens. And then we have the Afghan Women's Fund, which is directed by Fahima here. She's a board member, and she's going to uh, describe that uh, fund and what we do there. And then the third, uh, the third uh, program in the organization is the Family Guidance Center, which Manisha founded and directs. Uh, that just gives you a sort of sense of the structure of the organization. Uh, we have, by the way, many, many um, volunteers and interns in Queens, in the Queens uh, Community Outreach Program. One of them is here, uh, Audrey Montgomery. Audrey, raise your hand. She's, she's taking care of the baby right now, but uh, she's one of our recent uh, volunteers. Uh, I'm really, we're all really very happy to see students here. And what I want to stress uh, is this. This organization has an enormous reach. We're doing incredible work, as you will see when Fahima and Manisha describe the two projects in Afghanistan. Um, and yet we're tiny. It's a major secret. I'm letting you in on this secret. We're a tiny organization. There are just a handful of women running these projects. I want to tell you that because I think students many, uh, very often say, I want to do something in the world, but what can I do? I'm just one person, and you need a big organization, and you need a huge amount of money. We started out with a small group of people, a couple, a handful, and no money, and in just a few years, we were in Afghanistan uh, doing am amazing work. So don't be, don't, don't be a timid about getting out into the world and bringing your ideas into the world and uh, trying to make a difference. So with that, with that advice, uh, I'm going to turn this over to Fahima, who is the uh, director of the Afghan Women's okay. Fund. You know what you're doing here? We're all a bit, we're all complete I'm nerds when it comes to the computer. <laughs> Especially me. <laughs> <laughs> Good evening. Uh, thank you all for coming. Since it's college, and uh, you know, I don't know when it's your semester ending, but I have a, um, I'll quiz you on something. <laughs> um, what happened on October the 7th? Does anybody know October the 7th? Well, the students, Janet. Anybody knows? No? In 2001, October the 7th, that's the day that US invaded Afghanistan. It has been um, seven years, and in a couple days would be seven years since US invaded Afghanistan. When US invaded Afghanistan, we all thought that, oh, you know, the problem in Afghanistan would be solved, and we will have peace there in Afghanistan, and we will have uh, prosperity, women's situation will get better, and human rights will improve, and um, <clears throat> Afghanistan will be reconstructed, and uh, things will change in Afghanistan. Seven years later, the Taliban are stronger than ever. The Al-Qaeda are still there. The poppy cultivation is, is uh, uh, very big in Afghanistan. And the women's situation have, have not changed very much. Uh, human rights is still a big issue in Afghanistan. Poverty in, in uh, 
literacy, um, I mean, illiteracy is, is still a big problem among women and uh, men too. Uh, Afghanistan still uh, the, uh, uh, from, from the bottom, the, the poorest country, uh, one of the poorest countries in the world. And uh, um, the death uh, rate in Afghanistan is very high. And the uh, life expectancy is 44 among women and 46 among men. Uh, you know, these are the grim pictures of Afghanistan. And uh, the war is still going on there. Yes, you were right, Janice, that in the, in the campaign trail, they did not talk about Afghanistan very much, and they don't talk about Afghanistan very much. How many times did you hear about Afghanistan from CNN and MSNBC and all these mainstream uh, media? Um, they don't talk about what is going on in Afghanistan. For years, we have been talking about it. We have been telling the, the world that what we do in Afghanistan, what the, the US um, uh, um, foreign policies in Afghanistan that is incorrect there, and, and that does not help the people of Afghanistan very much. But nobody listens. Even before this, um, the, before 9-11, um, the U.S. supported the wrong people in Afghanistan, and that's why the 9-11 happened. Uh, most of you probably don't know, in the 80s, um, U.S. supported the wrong people, the fundamentalists in Afghanistan, to fight the Soviet Union, to get rid of the Soviet Union. As soon as the Soviet Union was gone, so was the U.S., and left the country in the hand of those fundamentalists who became Al-Qaeda and who became Taliban later. The Mujahideen, the Taliban, the Al-Qaeda, they are the same people who um, uh, they uh, not only destroyed Afghanistan, they spread out all over the world. And then the 9-11 happened. And after the war, and uh, the Iraq war, they spread out even uh, more all over the world. And today, we have Al-Qaeda and the, the fundamentalist um, terrorist groups. We have them all over the world, and especially in, uh, in, in, in some of the, the Southeast and East Asian countries, in some of African countries, like about 60 countries or so. Um, it's just like uh, they are uh, they are everywhere and nowhere. You know, you cannot see them, but they are everywhere, and they are hurting the people of uh, of, of, of those countries, and also um, f uh, the U.S. and the Western countries are um, also in trouble because they supported them, and uh, not only they supported them, and then after 9/11 they. Um, did not do anything, not much. <laughs> Sorry about this, I got scared. <laughs> um, not only that they did not do much about them and they just uh, took their, their um, attention away from the Al-Qaeda and the Taliban in Afghanistan and they went elsewhere and they thought that, oh, we fixed Afghanistan, now we are gonna fix Iraq. Um, and that's why the Taliban and the, the um, Al-Qaeda are, are getting stronger and stronger and they, they resurface back. Um, what was supposed to be done by the Western countries who uh, promised that they would do, the uh, British, the United States, and other countries, they all promised that they will help Afghanistan, they will help the women of Afghanistan. I don't know if you remember in 2002 in the um, State of the Union, President Bush, um, 
talked about Afghanistan specifically, then they said Afghanistan is free. The women and the, the uh, girls in Afghanistan are free now. The mothers and the, uh, the women of Afghanistan free, and we will be a partner with them and we will help them and da 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 da. But that did not happen since they did not do it. Um, of course, as uh, women um, uh, empowerment group, as a women activist group, uh, Women for Afghan Women, um, went to Afghanistan and, and started to work there in Afghanistan. Of course, uh, you know, the, those of us who are in the Women for Afghan Women, they, we are all, we were, and you know, we are, we were all activists and women's rights um, advocates before that. Uh, we were all working with different organizations to improve the life of women. But after we formed our organization, we went to Afghanistan and started our work directly with the people uh, there, which um, you will see uh, some of the picture that you can you know, tell what we do. Um, I will talk about Afghan Women's Fund. This is uh, a program, a part of Women for Afghan Women, who I uh, am uh, I'm the director. We um, have a lot of volunteers. This is something that I don't do it alone. We have a lot of volunteers all over the country who raise money uh, with us and for us, and, and, and not only raise money, raise awarenesses. And we um, uh, go around the country and talk about the women's situation and raise money, and then we take the money there, and 100% of that money will go to our project in Afghanistan. The difference between our organization and some other big organization is that, which I don't criticize them, but all what I want to say that in Afghan Women's Fund, we are all volunteers and we don't have any overhead and we all, uh, every penny that we raise, it will go to our project. With very little, we do a lot in Afghanistan. Um, the work of women for, um, Afghan Women's Fund is that um, we open literacy classes in Afghanistan. As you probably um, heard that a lot, that over 80% of women in Afghanistan don't have uh, access to school. Uh, they did not have access to school and they, they, uh, they cannot read and write. And under the Mujahideen and Taliban, women, especially in the rural areas, they could, they could not go to school, they did not have education. Um, imagine women who are my age, 50 and over, they, their children, I went to school and college there, but their children, they're 25, 30, the girls, they could not go to school. Um, a few years ago, I went to a wedding. There are a lot of women there in my hometown, and there were a lot of women gathered, 25, 30 years old women, which I call them girls, and they gathered around me and they said that, aunt, please do something for us. What do you want? Um, open literacy classes, open vocational training, something that we could learn and we could um, put food on the table for our children. Uh, they said, we don't have any skill, we don't have any education, we don't have, we cannot even read and write. Um, after I talked to them, that who are you? Uh, because I have been away from Afghanistan for almost 30 years. You know, some of them were born after I left Afghanistan, some of them were born that, you know, I mean, if they were one year or two years old, I, I did not recognize them. I asked them, who are you? And they told me the names of, of their parents. Some of them, their mothers were architect, engineer, professor, doctors, teachers. But the children could not go to school. Some, some the parents got killed. Some of them were, um, uh, you know, they did not have any, uh, retired. Some of them, uh, you know, just died. 
or the children did not have any uh, uh, they did not have any chance to go to school and be educated you know think about it that you know uh, if i was in afghanistan i am an educated woman my daughter would not have any chance to be educated and you know this is how couple generations of women of Afghanistan live in a lot of areas that I go in, in rural areas that I go, women cannot read and write at all. They have not been to schools because the schools were closed for years and years. You know, and now um, we go there and we open these classes for them. Uh, you know, and we either rent somebody's home or, or um, just rent a building and open one or two classes or a few classes there, literacy classes that they can learn. And then with that, we also open vocational trainings like sewing and embroidery and, and uh, knitting and carpet weaving and jewelry making and uh, self-making, um, jam making and, and you know, uh, baking in, uh, small classes. We cannot do like big project um, because we are a small organization, but these small projects that we uh, open there for them and they learn and then they can, um, you know, um, after that, they, they, they put food on the table for, for the family. Um, another thing that the African Women's Fund uh, does that we um, open schools for the girls. Um, as you know, and mostly 80% uh, of the schools in Afghanistan are destroyed. Like if there is a school, there is no building for schools. 80% of the kids are either in the open air or under the tent, the lucky one, or under the trees. There are not you know, building like a roof or walls for the, for the schools. And that's how the kids go to schools. Because Afghanistan is a conservative society, the, kid, the girls who are 12, 13 years old, you know, they are, they are young girls, they're kind of, you know, they're, you know, they're not adults, but th this is the age that the family won't let them go and, and study in open air. And especially because of the harassment, because of the you know, culture and a lot of other issues. Um, then the family won't let their girls to go to school. And that's what we do when I, I go and see that there is a need for it and, and we, uh, you know, I, I raise money for them and then I build schools for them. So far we have built five schools that two of them are being finished and then you know, three we already um, uh, open. One of the schools that I, um, and another woman there in, in one of the cities uh, called Herat, we opened in 2002 with 150 girls, and today we have over 1,200 girls <coughs> in that school. After five years, we, we built the building for them, and then I'll show you uh, the before and after pictures. Um, I usually work in the very rural areas, in areas that a lot of other organizations won't go, and sometimes Esther and Manisha get mad at me and tell me not to go there because um, things are not good, not secure. But, uh, uh, you know, I, I believe that you know, if we don't do it, then the you know people there won't have any opportunity to study, and uh, you know what will happen to them. Um, another thing that we do is also um, uh, clinics. Uh, a lot of areas they don't have any clinics. And I'm just giving you an example of one of the area that um, there was a clinic, two uh, rooms, the uh, TB room, the tuberculosis room and the, the delivery room were next to each other. In order for you to go to the delivery room, you have to pass the TV room to go to the delivery room. And what we did, we expanded that. We, we built um, three extra rooms for the clinic and, and hallway and the bathroom for the TB and the delivery room to be separated. 
the clinic was open before from eight to three. Once we, we added uh, to the um, clinic, we separated the delivery room from the TB room and TB area. Now uh, it's open 24 hours and that serves six villages. It's like over 40,000 uh, people there. And th this is a very small project. It costs us probably 17 to $20,000, not much because the villagers help. But with that, you know, you are serving over 40,000 people, which is, you know, a big deal. And they told me that before the, the, the clinic um, was, um, was built, uh, one out of each five children will die. But since that clinic is built since last year, Manija went there for the uh, dedication of the clinic. Since then, 116 delivery were done there, but none of them died. And that was, you know, uh, you know, a pride in a, in a, you know, really, I was very glad that we did something that changed the lives of these people. Also, build another clinic in one of the very rural area called Lagman, which they don't, they don't have clinic, and they were renting somebody's room. A, a doctor would come there, a nurse would come there, and with, with a doctor sometimes and take care of the family, and we build another clinic there. Um, another uh, thing that we have is the. Um, uh, digging wells for the, uh, for the um, uh, villages. Uh, we do dig well for the clean water and also irrigation water. And I'll show you some pictures from before and after that you will see the difference when, uh, you know, that, uh, the, in the difference in the, in, the, in the life of the people in the village that, uh, you know, um, it appears after the, 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 um, the wells. Uh, we have also, I have 10 more minutes. <laughs> Okay, you know, if I have 10 more minutes, what I will do, I will um, show you pictures and also, if I can find the pictures. I think, no, no. <coughs> See, I, that's why I told you that I don't like, um, <laughs> don't, 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 you have to save it. How do you make it bigger? How do you make it bigger? You want to go through and preview like you have before? Yeah, please. She just wants each one. She wants you to no, flash I'll, each just, one up. Yeah, just do that and then I'll go to the next one. I think we have to. Let me. See? which is, uh, we have, we find families here to sponsor an orphan what? girl in Afghanistan who can stay with the uh, family. Huh? Oh, okay. Okay, um, we do have an orphan sponsorship program that we, I'm kind of worried about this. <laughs> I want to show the pictures. Um, that we find, we find families that who can come and uh, who can s uh, sponsor a child there in Afghanistan. Okay. Can can we make it a little bigger? It's up on the screen. 
it's okay. Just, 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 can, can you please let me let me do it? You don't know what you're doing, Fahima. Why would I let you do it? I'm sorry. We're not going to be able. It's up on the screen. <laughs> we we, okay. we had done this no. earlier. We'll just get we'll get it as big as it was. That's why I don't like Mac. I. <laughs> if we. Is that is that big enough? Yeah. Then, yeah. Then, then you can just narrow it down. Okay, this one. I'll this do one. The next one for you. Go ahead. You talk, and I'll do the next one. You make me nervous here. Um, see, this is one of the villages that in uh, most of the villages look like that. Esther. Okay. Most of the villages are like this in Afghanistan. Afghanistan went through um, 30 plus years of war. And um, a lot has been, uh, you know, destroyed and damaged in Afghanistan. And uh, this is a typical village in one of the villages that I started to work. And um, that was several years ago. And then I, keep going, yes, um, okay. I, I need to do it myself. Um, this is one of our students that is going to one of our um, classes in computer classes. We have many computer classes that we um, teach there. The, the children who um, did not have much before, now they are coming to our English and computer classes and going to our schools. This is not doing anything. Okay, here. Um, so this is uh, the school that I talked about uh, that we started several years ago, and this is the um, uh, the tent that they, the the kids are under. You can see how um, damaged, uh, even uh, torn up the the, uh, the, the um, tent is. One of our um, classes under the tent. Again, you know you can see that you know how do they uh, go to school here uh, in Afghanistan, and these are one of the lucky schools who have. Uh, at least 10 that they can go under. Sometimes it's over 100 degrees, sometimes it's snow, sometimes it's, it's rain, but they are still under the tree or, uh, under, the tree or under the tent. Um, this is one of our literacy classes. Uh, this actually, it's another school that we have started a few years ago. We rented somebody's home, and uh, you can see that only a few of them have chairs, and, and uh, a lot of them don't. See these kids, this is an area in, called Lahman, which is very hot, and a lot of these kids don't have shoes. They, they walk to school three, four kilometers, and they don't have shoes to wear. Uh, you can see again, you know, these are the classes that they're sitting on the ground, and you, know, you see the blackboard there? You know, it's just a small tree that everybody crumbled there and, and hoping to get some shade there, but they still study there. Okay, and that's when we started to build um, a school. This is, I think this is in 2005 when I started the school. Um, for the, uh, the girls under the tent, here, this is what became of the school. This is the day that we were um, uh, dedicating the school. Here is one of the schools that we built. The girls who were under the tent, now they're in this school. They're learning computer, they're learning um, English, and they have running water, and they have uh, beautiful school. We also use the schools for women um, in the evening. They learn uh, sewing and other things, and we built, uh, we form women co-ops there. 
see, uh, this is one of the literacy classes that we, they, they come. The, the very girls who were sitting on the, uh, on the ground uh, under the tent, now they have school. And in the evening, the mothers uh, use the, um, the school. Uh, this is one of our women co-ops who um, started some work and you know, we even brought some of the stuff here to this country and we sold them for them and they sell them there in the market. Uh, again, um, uh, the women co-ops, you know, some of the work that they are doing. Uh, this picture I like very much. It was a very cold day when I went and took that picture. Um, these are siblings, and uh, you know, when uh, I saw them, I, uh, they, they just came to school, and I um, asked them that they have only one shawl. They said, yes, they have only one shawl to share. And one day, one of them will take the shawl to class, and another day, another one. And uh, I feel to take the pictures of their shoes, which were not much of shoes, um, but when I asked them, uh, how do you feel about it? And the younger one said that, he said, it's okay, the only time I have problem is that when the other one is running, and when we are running, the other one is, the older brother is faster, and then I, you know, we cannot hold the shawl, you know, both, and you know, he's taking the shawl from me. But other than that, they were happy to, to share one shawl you know, among them. One of the things in Afghanistan is that uh, is uh, very heartbreaking is the self-emulation of women. We have um, uh, helped the, the Herat, especially in, in Herat, um, we have helped the Herat Hospital to um, take care of these women. And we are uh, paying the uh, doctors and, and nurses and the cleaner salary for the past several years. The problem there is that you know women who are desperate and they don't have any hope for the future. What they do, they just pour cooking oil on themselves and they burn themselves. And there are three problems with that, three sins that they are, these women are making. First of all, um, self-immolation, killing yourself—that's against Islam. Secondly, uh, they are tainting the family name. Thirdly, is because they are women. When they go to the hospital, the hospital don't have much to take care of them. And you know, since they committed this crime of, of burning themselves, they are not taken care of. And, and uh, you know, uh, the doctors and nurses are, don't pay much attention to them. The hospitals don't have material. And that's w when we come and buy them supplies for them and also pay the doctors and nurses salary to um, take care of them. Uh, this is another one who burned herself, and uh, um, she was crying that day when I went there, took pictures. She said that she wants to die. Uh, uh, remember I told you that I, uh, I, I dig wells for the uh, villages, and that's what we do. This is one of the villages that did not have any water, and we dig well for them. Uh, here's another picture. The, the picture that you first saw, the village that you first saw, uh, this is what became uh, of that village, the first picture that you saw, the, the, the destroyed village. After we dug a well there, and after we worked a lot there, and, and worked with women um, literacy and everything, that's what be uh, it became of the village. Um, and this is one of our volunteers who, uh, after a couple of years, uh, showed us that um, you know, digging the well and giving them uh, vineyards, you know, they, uh, they have um, good uh, fruit there. Um, 
see uh, our computer classes. This is one of our classes in Logar, in which is a very rural areas, and you know, uh, 32 women graduated from our computer classes, girls. Uh, again, uh, one of our classes in our schools, women classes in our schools, that they, they, we use the schools in the afternoon for our women who can come and learn there. One of our uh, uh, women co-op that uh, we started the first day that when I told them that we want to start a women co-op, 80 uh, plus 85, 86 women got uh, together and, uh, and they came to for the co-op. Um, this is one of the time that we are giving um, blankets to uh, people. Winter is very cold there and, and the gentleman that you see, he was a, an army officer. But they, uh, the warlords and the drug dealers, they confiscated his land and his home and everything and, and um, did not have much. And he had like nine kids and he just came to this ruined building. He does not have much of the roof over him. And you can see the, the door is just a blanket uh, in front of his, you know, the, uh, on, by the door. Um, here, some women who are widowed and you can see the house that they uh, fix them themselves, these women. They're few women living there, no man, um, and we gave them uh, warm clothes. Um, also gave them uh, like goats, or gave them chickens, and uh, to the, especially to the widows that they can take care of their families. And one of the widows that we gave them goats. Uh, I think this is probably all what we have, the, uh, the, the pictures, and that's what we do. And we, 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 we have a lot of other small projects there, but I see that Esther, kind of look at me and then she's not very happy that I took a little more time than I usually, is it? Um, um, again, uh, this is the work, the work that we do is something that I cannot do it alone. Women for Afghan women cannot do it alone. It's a teamwork that we, like I said, we have volunteers all over the country and you know they take small project, they take big project, they work all together, but it's a teamwork that we, um, uh, you know, we are very happy with, with our team and we are happy that, you know, people do understand the needs in Afghanistan and they can feel the need in Afghanistan and they, they help us with that. Again, without, without the support of our volunteers, without the support of, of our, our supporters, we would not be able to do the work. And uh, I hope that few of you or, 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 or all of you get up and say that we want to be the volunteers and we would love to have you as our volunteers to help us and support us with, in, in this, uh, this noble cause, to empower the women of Afghanistan that they would not suffer again, they would not be living in a, a subhuman condition and situation. Thank you very much. As you heard before, my name is Manisha Nazari. I'm the executive director of Women for Afghan Women. I was born in Afghanistan, but I was, I was raised in New York City. Um, for years, I was looking for an organization to join so I can help out Afghan women. Um, and in 2002, I met Women for Afghan Women at an event. So I started volunteering with them. Um, and then eventually, I was hired as their first staff person now we have more staff people. <laughs> I'm gonna to talk to you about our Family Guidance Center. Um, 
first I'll tell you about you know how the idea came to us and and what we're doing and what what we plan to do in the future. Um, in 2003, uh, some of our, some of us went to Afghanistan. We went to Kandahar, which is the the former or the still <laughs> the stronghold of the Taliban. Um, we organized a conference. Uh, we gathered 41 women from all over the country um, to talk about the con Afghan constitution. At that time, the constitution was being written, so we wanted to make sure that women's voices were in the constitution. Um, so w while we were in Kandahar, we visited the, the women's prison. Um, we met a few women there. One of them was Lena. She was a 16-year-old who had run away from, uh, from an abusive uncle. And she was, she, wa she, wanted, she was from Kabul, was, she was on her way to Iran. She was going through Kandahar. And in Kandahar she was caught and because she had run away from prison, she was put in jail. There were no charges against her, just the fact that she, had, she was caught by herself outside. So we, we basically talked um, to the courts and to the police to get her out because there were no charges against her. Um, we convinced them to let her go. We took her to Kabul, and she was adopted by an Afghan woman there. Now, before Lena met us, she had never gone to school. Now she's almost finishing high school. She's taking karate lessons, and she's dreaming of becoming an, an Afghan woman's advocate. She was shot in the bra. Yes, she has gone Norway. to Norway. Norway. <laughs> um, the other woman that we met there was a, I think she was 22, 22 years old. Um, she was a, um, a young widow who was being abused by her father-in-law. Uh, she was physically abused, sexually abused. She was tied in chains and left in, in the house. She tried to run away once. She went, she, the, the police caught her and sent her back home. She ran away the second time, the police caught her again, sent her back home again. The third time, because of all the abuse, she couldn't, take, she couldn't stay. So she ran away again. This time the, the father went to the police and said that um, recently a child in the family had died. So the fa her father-in-law went to the police and said, this woman killed my grandson. So she was put in, framed and put in prison for murder, of a murder she didn't commit. So th these are some stories that, you know, um, that we heard and I made a promise to myself. I said, I'm gonna find a way to go back to Afghanistan and help women like this. Um, so in 2006, August of 2006, I went to Afghanistan. Um, I, wanted, I spent the first three months to do a feasibility study to find out what, what's on the ground, what's being done, what's not being done. We wanted to find a gap. We didn't want to redo any programs. Um, so after three months of talking to people, we realized that, um, that there, were, there was no pl place for women to go if they needed assistance. So we opened the, uh, we call it the Family Guidance Center. Um, before I go into that, I just want to tell you uh, what some problems are that uh, women face in Afghanistan. 
I think we need to redefine what violence against women is. It's not just domestic violence as we know it. So it's domestic violence, it's honor killings. If a girl is, um, is not a virgin on her wedding night, she can be stoned to death. Stoned to death. There's all, ki all kinds of sexual violence, including harassment and rape, forced and underage marriages, a custom called bad, that's a tribal custom in which women are given as compensation for a crime, denial of education, denial of medical care, denial of rights of motherhood, denial of involvement in decision-making processes at all levels of society, the denial of their right to make the decisions that affect their own lives, denial of autonomy. In other words, violence against women is the systemic violation of women's human rights. In the Afghan constitution, forced and underage marriage are, marriages are illegal, but almost 57% of Afghan girls continue to be married before the legal a a marriageable age of 16 for girls and 18 for boys. And si 60 to 80% of marriages are forced. Child marriages account for 43% of all marriages. While you might think that males also suffer when they're um, forced into a marriage, we have to keep in mind that um, men in Afghanistan can have a right to get divorced, but women don't have a right to get divorced. Divorced women must, must give up uh, custody of their children. Um, they have to give their sons at age six and their daughters at age nine. Men can have, can have as many as four wives, but any relationship by a woman with another man is illegal, punishable by, by death. Afghan women obliged to have children when barely out of childhood themselves are very often deprived of medical care, suffer one of the highest mortality, maternal mortality rate in the world. Every 30 minutes, a female dies um, during pregnancy or childbirth, a figure 60% higher than rates in the industrial world. 80% of these deaths are said to be preventable. No practice illustrates the, the illustrates violence against an Afghan woman more powerful than the tribal custom bad. It's a common practice, although illegal, bad entails one family member handing over a girl as compensation for a serious offense com committed by, against another family because they embody the original crime. The woman or the girl is stig stigmatized by it and suffer unimaginable abuses by the other family. Um, now, our Family Guidance Center is a center um, where we provide counseling, mediation, legal uh, assistance um, to women and families who are experiencing all of these violences. And we, we opened our first center in um, uh, March of 07, 2007. And from March until today, uh, just last week, we've processed 430, uh, 463 cases. Now, that doesn't include family members that we've worked with. That's just 463 women that we've helped. Um, 
besides the family guidance center, we also have a shelter where women stay when, when they can't go home. Um, and in, in a year and a half, we've had 150 women stay there and 35 children. In our shelter, we offer literacy classes because, as Fahima said, most women are not, they can't read or write. Um, so we want them to have something when they, when they, when they go back home or uh, so they can at least be able to write. Um, and in September, just last month, we opened another center in Mazar. Um, I'm going to tell you a few sample cases that we've processed. One is the, the story of Huma. Huma is a um, young woman who was married to, the, to, a, to a Taliban. Um, the night that she ran away from home, she, her sister-in-law sister heard her husband planning her death, how he was going to kill her, how he was going to put her, her in, in the trunk of his car and where the, the, her grave was and how he was going to bury her. Her sister-in-law told her this. So she opened the door for her and she, she, she ran off. She, she left two of her children um, behind because she, couldn't, she had to save her own life. She stayed with us for a year and a half. We helped her get a divorce, um, and we recently hired her to be a caretaker at the shelter. Another uh, case is Marzia and Sheila. These are two sisters who were given away in bed. Her, her brother, these, these girls' brother, had killed somebody in her uncle's family. So as compensation, these two girls were, were given. The older one was married to one of his sons, the, her, her uncle's sons. The younger one was seven at the time when she was given to the, to the family. Um, she was just kept as a slave. And then after a few years, her, the, the older sister's husband died. So they were both basic, virtual slaves in their uncle's house until they found the strength to run away and come to us. And then there's Husnia, a five-year-old who was gang raped by two men and left her in a swimming pool for, for, for dead. Um, because the, the men were powerful, they bribed their way out, out of prison. Um, Husnia's family is in danger because they reported the crime to the police. So she's in our shelter. Um, there's Sita. Sita was given in marriage to her cousin when she was nine years old. After the marriage, she was not allowed to visit her parents. After four years, her father went to her house to find out what was happening. There they found out that after her marriage, starting from her wedding night, her uncle had, had been raping her. She was taken for, for, the, for the uncle's son, but instead she was her un uncle's wife. Her aunt knew about what was happening. They, they were also physically and emotionally abusing her. She, at 12 years old, she, she's 12 years old now, she ran away and went to the police. The police referred her to us. Now we're trying to um, put the uncle in prison for, for rape. We're gonna put her father in prison for marrying her off at the illegal age. And her, her aunt, who knew what was happening and didn't really do anything. Farishta, is a rape victim. Her father, her friend's father lured her to Kabul. He told her that he was taking her sightseeing and that after two or three days he would bring her back to her family. Her family lives in Mazar. He brought her to Kabul and raped her. 
She yelled and screamed until the neighbors heard. Um, the neighbors called the police, but the man ran away with her, and then, this is very dramatic. <laughs> she, uh, on the streets of Kabul, while he, the, the guy was driving off, she opened the door and jumped off, and the police caught the man. Uh, just about three weeks ago, he was sentenced to 16 years for raping her with our, the help of our uh, defense lawyers. Um, now, there are some more cases with, uh, which I'm not going to go into, but um, um, we're planning to, our goal is to have one center in every province. Um, we have two right now. We're going to have, in 2009, we're going to have another three. Um, and we were, another plan that we have is to, we have a pilot program. Um, most women, um, all women in Afghanistan, they can't live by themselves. And they have no skills, so they can't support themselves if, if they leave their family. So we want to um, start a communal, communal living arrangements with, uh, with, uh, with a small business so they can work and live in a communal setting. Um, another plan that we have is we want to open a residence for children who are living with their mothers in prison. Most women in prison are there for moral crimes. Um, things like um, adultery. Adultery just means uh, that they've had sex outside of marriage or, the, or they were accused of having sex outside of a marriage. Um, sometimes a, a man, you know, disappears for 10 years and then the wife thinks that she, her, her husband's dead. When, so she gets married again. After 10 years, he returns and s says, you know, I'm still alive. And so the, the woman is put in prison because she's had sex, you know, with another man. <laughs> so um, these women are, are in prison with their children. Um, there's, there's a 14-year-old girl. I mean, there are different ages. There are 63 um, children in prison right now. So you want to take these children and basically have a dorm for them so we can um, educate them and bring them up to be good members of society. Um, in addition to the work we do with individual clients and families, we do important advocacy work in terms of raising national consciousness about women's ri rights in courts, with judges and with uh, lawyers, and especially important among police. Before we arrived, um, women who, who went to the police com uh, about com to complain about abuse, they were put in prison because they had run away from home. It's not illegal to, to run away from home, but most police thought that you know, running away from home was a crime. Now, instead of the woman being put in prison, um, they're sent to us so we can talk to their families and process their case and maybe sol solve it. Um, I just want to mention that in a country where um, a woman doesn't have a right to get divorced, we've won 25 divorces for our clients. That's an impossible number if you talk to any Afghan. <laughs> and I want to stop by just showing you a few images from our Family Guidance Center. <laughs> 